The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. Today, we're talking with Rob Cato, the co-executive director of Zanger Farm. Hey, this is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am talking to the co-executive director of Friends of Zanger Farms, Rob Cato, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Yeah, it's sunny outside. We've got a nice window. Feeling good. And and it's it's uh, it's an odd summer for you guys, but we'll get to that. I want to start out with uh, what is Zanger Farms, uh, and then we can talk about what's happening. Um, some people are very familiar with it, and to some people, it might be a shock. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's Zanger Farm. And so, oh, it, you know, it, yeah, no worries. <laughs> we, we get Zinger Farms all the time. I think it just blows off the tongue easier. Um, so basically, we're an organic farm, and then we're also an education center. And what that means for us is being a space to kind of facilitate conversations around, like, food and the environment and kind of share knowledge about where our food comes from and also, like, access to outdoor spaces. Yeah, and, you know, and there, there's obviously, there's a number of farms in the, the area, but what what is really special uh, and fascinating about Zanger Farm is it's right off Foster. It is, yeah. We're we're actually probably one of the the kind of largest urban farms within the city area, right off of 117th and Foster, which provides us like a, a really great space to engage with the community out there in the Lentz neighborhood. And and tell me again, how many acres? Yeah, so we are 24 acres, but most of it is actually a wetland space. So um, we exist like right on the Johnson Creek watershed and we have about like a 16 acre wetland. Uh, and then the farming operations is the rest of it. Yeah, it's, it's a great space. Uh, my, my daughters have, have done their summer camps out there and we've, we've, I've walked the grounds a number of times. Um, and, you know, so normally right now would be uh, a very busy time at the farm for you wrapping up summer programs, harvest. Uh, tell me what would normally, what would normal look like right now? Yeah, wow, what is normal right now? Um, so during the summer, we would actually be right in the middle of probably our busiest programming. So we offer summer camps throughout the summer. Uh, and this year we're doing a reduced capacity summer camp, but normally we have anywhere from like 60, I think to 70 kids on site um, during different summer camp activities. Um, we're also, this is a program that we're still running. Um, we're in the middle of our farmer apprenticeship program. So with that program, it's a seven and a half month uh, intensive program where like farmers who are kind of interested in farming, but might not have had a lot of experience before, um, get to learn everything from like crop planning, through production, through selling to market in a small scale farm. So that, that's still absolutely happening. We're still feeding our community through our community supported agriculture. Um, and then also like right now, we probably would be having a lot more volunteer groups 
Um, so one of the things that we've done in the past couple of years um, is open up the farm on Saturdays. Um, on the first and third Saturday, we were hosting kind of an open farm day where folks can come and like garden. We always had food available. Um, and that's something that we're still doing, but um, we're doing that at a much smaller capacity this year. Right. I mean, because it, it, talk to me about some of the discussions that you must have had this spring because it is an outdoor activity. It, it is, um, you know, with uh, 20 plus acres and, you know, uh, there, there, there's space to spread out. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it is obviously uh, mixing um, people who are coming from their own individual COVID bu bubbles. Um, what were some of the discussions about how and how much to open up? Yeah, um, there were a lot, and I'm sure like so many spaces had similar conversations. Uh, I think one of the most challenging things for us was just like we didn't have, you know, no one had a lot of information about about COVID and, and what it was going to look like in the long term. So I think the what we were able to do was kind of follow the guidance from the David Douglas School District and, and really just kind of like close off all of our programming at first. Um, and, and that was hard. And that's something that we was like a decision based on a lot of our partnership and work with the David Douglas School District uh, and the fifth graders over there. Um, so that was one thing is we couldn't we couldn't run our normal programming. Um, and then we as we started to get more information, um, we actually started to think about, you know, what what does it mean to like create a space that feels safe for folks to be able to still access the outdoors. Um, like you said, that's that's kind of our, our biggest draw out where we are is, is getting people on site. Um, so what we started to do was kind of talk about, you know, what could summer programming for camp look like at a smaller capacity. So right now we're running two 10 kid camps. Um, and it was just about like, how do we come up with creative ways for kids to engage so that they could like try and stay six feet apart. Um, so one of the things our educators did was actually come up with using like irrigation drip tape into these like kind of hula hoop circles. And then <laughs> so like the kids would have their own kind of personal bubbles. Um, and then also like things around the facilities, like making sure that we're like sanitizing and cleaning, you know, twice or three times a day. Um, and then just like really thinking about you know, how, how important food is to our work and really making that kind of difficult decision of saying, you know, for up until I would say last weekend, we really weren't um, cooking at, at all um, for the community um, outside of some of the programs where we were like directly selling to some of our CSA folks. Um, let's see, what else did we think about? I, I want to just pause a little bit because I, yeah. as you're talking, I'm, I'm realizing that I have a somewhat narrow vision of Zanger Farm because I've I've come to it through through uh, through kids, and but you guys are hosting CSAs as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and our our work is definitely uh, has a broad scope, so I could talk a little bit to that. So we we do have community supported agriculture, and right now um, we're feeding about seven hundred and fifty people a week. Um, so that's roughly like one hundred and eighty families. And that's through a sliding scale model, which is something that we instituted last year. And I think like last year was a really good pilot into what folks are needing this year. And basically what that looked like is creating a model that folks could pay between either 16 or $50 a week. Um, and the way that we had folks kind of self-select was uh, they filled out uh, a form that had uh, different things as far as like 
your income? Do you own your own home? Um, and then that provided a recommendation on, on where on the scale you would pay. And this year, I think, you know, for a lot of reasons, including, you know, job loss and like folks feeling kind of uncomfortable going to grocery stores, uh, we saw a lot of folks slide kind of to the, to the bottom of the scale. And we were able to provide them with like certified organic produce. Um, and that feels really good. Just a, a tangential question on that. How does Zanger Farm um, stay in business for as far as as far as uh, cash flow goes? Then, does the CSA uh, does does that pay enough revenue to keep you guys going? Or are you are you guys also asking for grants? I mean, it's it's a nonprofit, um, you know. So, do you still need the grant money, or or are you guys fortunate enough to have uh, revenue? You have a revenue based uh, a, a spreadsheet. Um, how does that pan out for you guys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we are absolutely a nonprofit and still seek funding um, through government and foundation and like individual support as well as uh, corporate support. Um, and then as far as the farming operation, the, the farmers will be like super proud to say that it is kind of uh, either making money or net flat uh, just based on their operations. Um, but I mean, there's so much other work that we do in terms of like community engagement and our kids programming and working with the school district um, that we really do rely on that kind of diversified stream of funding. Um, and we're also like super privileged to have some like fee for service programs. Um, so that does look like summer camp, um, like produce sales, things like that are, are a part of kind of our, our revenue breakdown. Yeah, and I want to, I want to, we're going to go to a music break in a little bit here, but you said, uh, was it food engagement? Was that the word that you just used? Oh, community engagement. Community, community engagement. Okay, I thought I heard food. Uh, why, why does, uh, I'm sure you've answered this question a lot of times, it may seem overly simple, but why does this matter? Why does it matter that uh, kids are showing up and learning where their food comes from? Why does it matter that there is uh, an, an urban farm uh, on, on the outer reaches of town? Of a city yeah absolutely and it's it's been really cool to see like how important food has become to to all of us um as we've kind of entered this age of covid and i think it's just really important to to understand both kind of the the root causes of why folks don't have access to fresh produce um you know we're talking about you know racism we're talking about you know land access we're talking about like all of those things like gentrification and just like how that plays into our food system. Um, so I think it's like very pivotal to, to have spaces like Zinger Farm um, to be able to like both, you know, educate the community, but also help support the community um, and all those intersections about, you know, how we get food. You know, and I, and I feel like equity and access was already, um, if not part of the curriculum at Zanger Farm or part of the discussion there, uh, it was certainly at least subtext um, have there been discussions about how to how that's going to be part of the mission going forward, even more so? Yeah, I would say that we've we've been pretty focused on you know food justice and like exploring food sovereignty for uh, the past I don't know three or four years. So it's definitely a very active conversation. Um, I think what's become like more clear to us as an organization is is that kind of piece around food access and around land access um, and what it means to be able to provide space for communities that either 
have like had their land taken away from them or like through USDA uh, preferential loan treatment had not had access to farming land. Um, I think those conversations are, are becoming very real for us as an organization and how we build partnership with other community specific organizations to, to like use this incredible space that we have. Yeah, it, it, it seems both uh, um, daunting as far as uh, it's a large issue and, and problem to tackle, but also really exciting. It is, it is. Um, Rob Cato is co-executive director of Friends of Zanger Farm. And how about we take a music break? You, got a, you have a song selection for us? I do. Um, so the song I selected was uh, This Land is Your Land, but an adaptation by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Oh, uh, good. Great, <laughs> great, great call. Thank you.
This is Phil Bussey. It's the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM that was Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings uh, singing a song that should have been recognizable to everyone. Uh, I'm joined by Rob Cato, who is co-executive director for Friends of Zanger Farm, which is truly a remarkable space on the far southeast reach of Portland, 20 plus acres of an active farm and education center. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you uh, for, for a little bit. So if I'm right, you're, you're, you're from Florida. You grew up in Florida. I did. Yep. Central Florida. Uh, that is, I mean, geographically, certainly, and, and climate-wise, as far away from the Pacific Northwest as you can get. It is, yeah. Uh, my, my mom likes to say, I'm kind of as far as I could go without going to Alaska. <laughs> and what... What what relationship did you have with farming or agriculture growing up? Um, I, I you know I I may be uh, oversimplifying, but you know Florida obviously we think of citrus and it's a fairly limited growing capacity there. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting because I I wasn't specifically interested in agriculture until I got a lot older. Um, but also growing up in Florida, there is like a large um, agricultural you know just landscape as far as citrus and like all these other, and a lot of the times they're actually like large scale monocropping. Um, and I, I think that's probably the way that I saw farming until I got a little bit older. Um, but my, my connection um, really comes with the connection with food and conversation and community. Um, I grew up in a household where it was super important that kind of dinner was a time where the family sat down and like had conversations and like had really rich and sometimes really hard conversations. Um, so I think for me, I kind of always saw food as a start to a conversation, no matter how different you might appear. Um, from someone or how different your ideologies may be. Um, we have this universal need to eat. So like food becomes that place of conversation for me. And, and you, you helped open up then Pine Street Biscuits. So you, you, you came into the restaurant world, is that correct? I did, yes, I did. Um, so I, I worked in restaurants um, in, back in college to kind of you know, pay for some of my college expenses. Um, and then really, I think, got that connection with both kind of food access and kind of like who, you know, who is able to afford what food and why those things may exist. And then also kind of the disparities that like some service workers like face in like not being able to afford the food that even, you know, they're, they're producing at a certain restaurant or establishment. Um, and then, yeah, moved to Portland. Um, I started working at Pine State Biscuits, uh, let's see, just as a cook. Uh, and then when the division location opened up, started working over there and uh, became like managing that location. And, and, and so what, what then brought you um, to Zanger Farm? What, what was it that was interesting and, and what did you, what have you brought to the organization in terms of professional skills? Yeah, so um, after college, I was actually working in, in corporate finance um, for a major pharmaceutical company. And I, I think I very quickly realized that like that was not the space where I could bring my full self for my values when it came to you know, social justice or, or food justice. Um, so I was kind of taking some time and I was you know, privileged to be able to you know, not be working for a period of time and just started reading up. Um, and one of the books that I really found some inspiration in was uh, Will Allen's The Good Food Revolution. Um, and 
like in that book, Will Allen kind of talks about these ideas of urban farms and just kind of the, the importance of having urban farms in places where, you know, folks don't have access to land and just what that can do for a community. Um, and then I just through like a Google search. I, I was like looking at urban farms in Portland uh, and Zanger Farm came up. Um, so like I actually had heard about Zanger Farm before I even moved here. Um, tell me again, Will, so Will, Will Allen, right? That's Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is that right? Correct, yep. Was he a former basketball player? Am I, I think he was, I think he was like a college basketball player and then was in uh, grocery or like sales, distribution and sales for, for groceries, what he was doing. Okay, okay, okay. Um, right, and so, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, um, right, that you're coming at from a financial, or you came in from a financial background, uh, obviously with the restaurants, what has surprised you most about being out on Zanger Farm or on a farm in particular, what's what's been what's been the the, the thing that uh, has been most eye opening to you? Yeah, I I think it's just the the experience of working on the land and like putting your hands in the dirt and, and whether you're I don't know planting a small garden in your front yard or you know feeding you know 176 families with the CSA. It's really that that like connection that happens when you like put your hands in the dirt and work the soil and, and work with folks alongside of you. And I think also the, what that brings up, like, I think just as you're like digging and working the soil, it like does something to you internally and you start to kind of like dig and explore kind of who you are as a person and where your values are. And I think those two things are like super, super interesting to me and something that I didn't realize would kind of happen when I started working in urban farming. So what what happens next for Zanger Farm? Um, I mean, obviously, we're we're not sure when things will come out of quarantine, and um, I, I, I would think that the winter months are a downtime anyway, for at least for the programming of the organization. But it maybe provides an opportunity for uh, administrative uh, internal thought and restructuring. Is there a plan for next year yet, or is it a wait and see? What, what are what what are you guys doing? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a plan as best as we can, um, and that's kind of the where we're coming from it. I I think that it has been helpful to kind of know what's happening with schools at least up until January. Um, like I was saying, a, a large part of our programming actually has to do with like getting kids at David Douglas like on site for programming. So. I think in the absence of being able to safely, you know, move kids around like that, we're talking about a lot of like virtual content uh, and like really putting some energy behind developing that. And what does it look like to do a virtual tour of our farm uh, and then have some like activities for parents? Um, we've been thinking a lot about what it means to, to provide some support for parents that are, you know, having to educate their kids right now because um, that's a super hard job. Uh, and I think that's one of the things we've been talking about is that kind of like online content. And then I think slowly um, but surely kind of opening the space. And, and because we do, we have a lot of like outdoor space, uh, we've been talking about opening more and like creating a space for families to be able to come to the farm. And then we'd have some sort of a like social distance activity. Um, and just, I think the other piece was like still, still continuing to do our, our farming production. 
And so if people want to know when activities may open up again, obviously the, the website will be updated. Correct. Yep. Yep. We're on website. We're on the, we're on website. We're also uh, on Instagram and we'll be posting those things too. Well, I can tell you I've, I have missed you guys this summer. Um, like I said, my daughters have gone there and I have a three year old son who loves, he has loved learning about carrots growing in the ground this summer. Um, I, I look forward to Zanger farm reopening. Thanks. We look forward to it too. Uh, Rob Cato is co-executive director for Friends of Zanger Farm. Thank you for joining us on the Nonprofit Happy Hour today. Thank you so much. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.